Welcome to Let Me Tell You Why Welcome You're Wrong. To let me tell you why you're wrong. Proof we can disagree. Proof that we can disagree. No, 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 no. That's not wrong. wrong on so many levels. And still get along. And still get along. That's fair. You know, I think that is true. I think that. you're right. That's true. Uh, That's true. I get it. I'm Greg Radcliffe. My name is Morgan. Well, hello. Hello. Today we have a very, very special guest, Miss Amanda Thompson. Hello, everybody. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I mean, I'm cold. If you can tell, um, I am bundled up. Yeah. yeah, I have a scarf. It is like pouring rain. We were woken up to thunderstorms that shook the whole house. But it's, how's it? how's it where you are? You know, sunny San Diego is like 80 something today. I have my... Can we introduce my cat because he's yes. in my lap. So Amanda has a naked cat. So everybody will have to go to YouTube and check this out. Yeah. So this is Jasper. So he'll be popping, popping his head up every now and then. So Greg is on vacation and he's left me to my own devices, which could um, not end well. I but feel we'll like it's see. interesting. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Maybe I just won't let him back on the show. Maybe I'm, maybe I'll just take over. Yeah. I mean, bye Greg. Bye. There's no such thing as vacation. He's in Boise. Oh. So by on vacation, he's like fully has internet and Wi-Fi. Interesting. Okay. Well, hey. So his work ethic is really strong, you guys. Privileged white male. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, first I'm going to do some not sponsors today. (sighs) Today's first non-sponsor is brought to you by Slip and Slides. We are so grateful for the memories and the fun that they've provided. Um, One friendly tip, though, make sure you check that grass for those rocks. Always. Always, because that hurts. Um, Slip and slides. Water is not included. (laughs) Um, I have another one. I'm going to go ahead and do it, because you know what? Greg's not here to pull his weight. making me wash and dry. Um, The next one, actually, Amanda, I know you love this one. Yeah. It is ghost supplements. If you guys haven't tried ghost supplements, we are actually really, really in love with your products. Um, and we would love to get free merch. <laughs> like, yes. can a girl get a shaker bottle or what? Even like the mini one. It's yeah, funny. we're down. Yeah. Um, and thank you so much for creating that new flavor, Nutter Butter. Like, oh my God, I can't I don't, taste it. We're not going to eat anything else. I think between that and their Chips Ahoy, like, yeah, we're good to go. Exactly. So thanks, Slip and Slides and Ghost Supplements for nothing. But if you want to send some subs our way, we have like 30 followers and we can totally blast you out. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, cool. So today, Amanda, what are we talking about? We are going to talk all things mental health. That's right. Mental health. So I don't really know much about this topic. I'll be real honest with you. I have my own mental health issues that I deal with. I think we um, I mean, I think everybody does, whether they admit it or not. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so one thing, the first kind of topic I had written down here is mental health stigmas and the shame that goes with it. Yeah. So that's huge. So let me just start by saying, um, so I'm a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner, which is a mouthful. So Um, let me tell you that if anybody's wrong in this episode, it's going to be me (laughs) because she knows. (laughs) 
<laughs> hopefully I know the answer. I feel like mental health is this whole, they're always learning. They're always discovering. There's always yeah. changes and, you know, every single person is different. It's not like when you go to the doctor and you have an infection, they know exactly what to give you. Right. So, yeah. So yeah, hopefully I know the answers. But. So I personally, I kind of want to tell, cause you know, sometimes it's all about me and I want to tell you a story about, um, when I got kind of shamed. Let's do you. Okay. This is therapy, you guys. Um, so I, I mean, th- I think anybody that knows me knows I'm kind of an anxious person and a worrier, but for the most part, like generally I can like, you know, never leave my house and I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, But recently, within the last year, I kind of was like just really feeling overwhelmed by my anxiety and like every situation was causing me to like near tears. And I finally went into the doctor and I went into my family doctor practitioner who I have seen since I was like seven. And I saw one of his nurse practitioners or nurse, somebody that can write prescriptions. (laughs) And I was just telling her how I was feeling and she, you know, gave me the little test about anxiety and then the one about depression. And I didn't score on depression, um, which was good, but I had like really high anxiety. And she's like, well, I think you should start some like medicine. And I was like, okay, like I'm going to do that because I felt like if I could take, I'm always been like, no, I don't want to take anything. And I think a lot of people with like any sort of mental health issue sometimes are resistant to taking medication. Do you agree? Yes. hundred percent. And I don't know why, I don't know if it's the stigma, but I was like, no, I don't want to take anything. But when I was there, I was like, you know, I have a son and I don't want to be the type of mom that's like crying or I want to be like level-headed for him. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to get on something. Well, I'm making this really long story. The medicine I got on, one of the side effects, I guess, is it can make you dizzy when you're first on it. But homegirl didn't tell me that. Oh, no. <laughs> so I start taking it and I'm like super dizzy and messed up. And I go in to, I call her again and I'm like, I'm dying. <laughs> because I think part of being anxious is like sort of, I think all anxious people probably have a little bit of hypochondria, right? Because we think like worst case scenario every time. Yeah. And I remember I was like, oh yeah, I'm dying. And, you know, really rational. Um, oh. Medicine hadn't kicked in yet. So I go in there. <laughs> I go back in to see her and she's like, do I need to have you committed? Or are you going to take the time and let the medicine kick in? Wow. Like that was her first response to me. And I was like, what? <laughs> so I think that's a, like a perfect example of exactly what happens in so many situations. And it's really, really unfortunate. And I want to go back to like the whole idea of like when someone is struggling with something that has to do with mental illness, like depression, anxiety, whatever it is it's viewed so differently. Like there's no problem if you're sick and you go to the doctor to get medicine for something. Yeah, It's no different, but for whatever reason, mental health is viewed as so much more of a weakness. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then it's like, I think it's, I think it's people create their own stigma against themselves, but also like our culture and society as a whole. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just viewed very differently. And really it's, it's not that different. Like, yeah. Like someone that has diabetes, they have to take medication the rest of their life. Someone with major depressive disorder or some sort of severe, like severe mental illness, they have to take medication their whole life. And it, it is just what it is. Yeah. But it's viewed as two very, my cat's knocking my glasses off. <laughs> viewed as two very different things. And it's, it's really sad. And it's a huge barrier for people getting help. A hundred percent. And I, 
I mean, if I also have another um, doctor that I see that's a functional medicine doctor who I've told you about her, but um, her name's Lindsay Wells. And um, I decided after that appointment with the family, like doctor that I went, I just called Lindsay and was like, I need to see you. And I told her about my experience and she was like, I'm so sorry. Like you cannot just put that stigma on people. And, and so now I see her regarding it and it's been much better, but yeah. Yeah. It's really challenging. One of the things like when, um, so I treat people with severe mental illness. I don't, Yeah. the patients that I work with are not just like, uh, depression or anxiety and not that those can't be severe as well but I'm on the total opposite end of the spectrum when it comes to the patients that I treat so I don't they don't always have the insight or ability to grasp like the rationale behind things but one thing that I always try to educate them on or like describe it as is especially with depression and anxiety which everyone struggles with at some point in time that medication medication I view as a bridge um, yeah because there's usually some sort of underlying issue that you may or may not know what that is. It could be from when you were three years old. It could be from a year ago. It could be the smallest of things that create such an impact in your life Yep. that are leading up to these issues. And it's that need for, con- so anxiety usually stems from a need for control um, in some yep. way, which means at some point in time, you felt a loss of control. Mm-hmm. And for everybody, that can be any situation, but it's, it's getting to the root of the issue, but a lot of times people are challenged with being able to get to the root of that without some sort of bridge. Um, and so it can be a lot of people that are resistant to medication when it's described in that way of let's get you to a place where you can function and you can feel semi okay so that you can show up in the areas that you need to, to figure out what the underlying cause is because A lot of times if you try to just get to the root cause, but you're already this anxious, worried, depressed mess or whatever it is, you can't, you can't get there. Yeah. You're constantly beating yourself up for not feeling strong enough or good enough or, and it's just this vicious, vicious cycle. Well, and even though mental health is like they say, you know, mental to me, I think it can affect you physically. Oh, absolutely. I mean, even if it's just that you're, you can't get off the couch to exercise or get any sun or eat, eat anything, like you can be malnourished or you can be like. Um, you know, unhealthy. So there's lots of ways that it can then start manifesting in ways that truly do make your physical body sick. Yeah. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. And the majority of our, so serotonin is the main neurotransmitter that plays a role in depression. Um, A lot of antidepressants, the main class is like SSRIs, which are selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Um, But the- I don't know what that means. (laughs) The bulk of your serotonin receptors are actually in your gut, in your stomach. Um, so yes. I think when you're feeling like depressed or anxious, one of the first things that can happen is like an upset stomach. Some people get diarrhea, some people get constipation, some people get nauseous and throw up. Um, so yeah, and, and it plays out in, you know, pain, um, pain and depression go hand in hand, um, and are so interlinked with one another. It's just crazy. And I mean, it can be any number of things, but it absolutely manifests as physical as well. That's interesting. People, that, oh, sorry. I was going to say that's interesting that you said a lot of the receptors are in your gut because one of the things that my um, functional medicine doctor did is did a whole like screening of my gut. She called, is it gut floria? Yeah. Gut flora. Yeah. So, yeah, flora. so, so like microbiome of your gut, you yes. have like the, the, the good and the bad bacteria and you have yep. to have a balance of both. And a lot of, there's so much research being done about the gut microbiome and especially when it comes to mental illness and mental mm-hmm. health. 
and how much of a role your gut health, your overall gut health has to do with your mental health. Yeah. So it was interesting. I mean, I didn't know why she was doing it, but that's good that you know why. And it was interesting because she did find like a couple and I... I always am probably, she'll probably listen to this and be like, no, that's wrong, Morgan. (laughs) But there were some things that like she gave me, um, I took some pills to kill some bad bacteria. And then I got on, it was like a couple month regimen. And then I was on like a pro, like a heavy probiotic to like build up the floria. And then they tested again to make sure you're back in the balance. But yeah. yeah. And it does make you poop better guys. If you care about that. Yeah. There you go. Want to be regular. Check that gut flora or I don't know. I'm saying it wrong. No, that's perfect. It's beautiful. Yeah. Just yeah. go see someone about your gut. Exactly. Um, well, what do you normally like? What sort of treatment options are you? Do you see most often for? Is it mostly just medication and like talk therapy? Um, so it depends. Um, it depends on who you're seeing. Uh, every practitioner, every prescriber, provider has a little bit different um, view. Outlook. So it's a lot. Some some providers you go to them and. It's like, here, take this pill. I'll follow up with you in six months. Yeah. But there's other people that you go to and it's a whole person. They look at every aspect of your life because obviously every aspect of your life is playing a role in what's going on with you. You can't like just take a pill and expect all the other stuff to get better. Yeah. I'm kind of with you. I would, if someone gave me a pill and said, I'll see you in six months, I'd be like, well, I, I don't know about that. And that's so common, especially there's a huge shortage of mental health providers, depending on what area you're in, um, where you, you're, that's all you get. You, you get a medication and you get six refills and then we'll follow up and that's kind of it. But realistically what it should be is, um, medication. If that's the right fit for somebody therapy, absolutely. I believe everybody, even if they're, even if they're the most happy, wonderful, amazing life, uh, everything is together for them kind of person. I still feel that everybody has something to go to therapy for. Um, I would, I mean, I don't know if it's just my personal experience in life, but I think a hundred percent. Yeah. I think everybody's got something they could talk it out. Yeah. And therapy doesn't necessarily have to be like, I'm going to see a therapist. Everybody's therapy looks a little bit different, right? Right. I'm not saying that it has to be that like, okay, once a week, I'm going to sit down for 60 minutes with my therapist and spill my guts out. But, but having someone, um, or some way of expressing everything that's going on inside your head and getting it out there because verbalizing it and speaking it and expressing it transforms Mm -hmm. it. And it, um, you can see it from a different point of view. And, and even if you don't, it's just, it's very freeing because yeah. like we have eight bajillion thoughts going on in our head at all times. And so just to be able to release some of that is just very therapeutic. I agree. And I have been to therapy even in times when I thought nothing was wrong. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's almost just like a moment to yourself to like yeah. be selfish and just talk about yourself. And then you discover things and I don't know. Um, I did have a really amazing therapist that I loved and she moved across the country. Oh no. So that didn't help my issues though. Cause I was like, don't leave me. I bet she does. I bet that person does teletherapy now though. I think. Yeah. It's like well, the she new hasn't movie. reached out to me. Well, maybe you've got to reach out to her. She doesn't like me. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> um, so another thing that I was going to mention, and I don't think this is maybe, I don't know if this is medical, but treatment options that I would say are, I mean, I guess this isn't a treatment option, but I think it's so whole, all inclusive. Like I know for like my personal self, like I will struggle with anxiety. 
if I don't do all the things I know that my body needs. Like, so I have to exercise. I have to like take moments to pause. I have to like read my books. There's like, I have to be like doing the things that sometimes I don't want to do. Sometimes I wake up and I'm like, yeah, I just want to sleep in, but I have to stick to my routine so that I feel good. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's huge. That, that in fact should be a part of anybody's like treatment plan and a lot of what people work through in therapy and, or I I definitely know nurse practitioners play a huge role in doing that. I don't know as much about psychiatrists, maybe some, um, but, but yeah, it's like, it's a, it's an overall treatment plan, wellness plan. So going through and identifying like coping skills, identifying the things that do bring you joy, the things that keep you on track and, and kind of keeping, um, creating a plan to keep you on that path. And when, Um, and also in that you also will typically identify people that you identify as like sources of support or people you can go to and be like, look, like I'm, I'm going into one of my moments and then they can to kind of like have your back and keep you in check, um, and put you back on the right path. But yeah, that all of that is so, so important to have. Yeah. Like to me, exercise is therapy. Exercise is a hundred percent there. Yeah. Give me a sledgehammer. And- That's right. Let me beat some shit up. Yeah. Carry, um, carry yeah. Oh, yeah. Carry a rock. Carry uh, a rock. For those of you who don't know, I tried to carry a rock and I threw my back out because old age. You did a beautiful job. You I made it. it. I mean, I got it up. Yep. It's waiting for you. Oh, good. I can't wait for round two. Literally wrote my name on it with a Sharpie. Yeah. Um. Well, yeah, I think that's important. I remember like sometimes I used to go to this cycle studio um, before I got my at-home bike. And there was was literally one time I can remember where I was just pretty unhappy with the job I was in and just like didn't know how I was going to get out of that job and was just like having a rough go at life. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I should take that with like... I'm not saying woe is me because other people have it way worse, but, and I remember I just broke down the spin instructor said something and the certain song that came on and I'm in the back, like pedaling as hard as I can crying. And so I'm like wiping my face, trying not to. And then I know she saw me and she was like, "Ah." and I was like, it's fine. Everything's fine. No. So like, I don't know. Cause you were a spin instructor for a while. Yes, I was. Yeah. So we always used to say like, it was such a compliment to give someone their first spin cry. Because yeah. that means that something that was said or some moment in class provided somebody with that release that they needed. And so it was like a like a badge of honor as a spin instructor to like give yeah. first spin cry. But I am so with you on that. Um spin was my first form of fitness therapy. And it yeah. and it was it was the combination of like exercise and the music. Mm-hmm. The music is it's is the physical cool. outlet. Yeah. And the music music is all music is probably another form of therapy for me. Mm-hmm. Um, the words and like the, I just will lose myself in music, but, um, totally. I've even cried on a Peloton ride now that I, I don't, they're not as spiritual as like some in-house studios. Um, so I kind of miss that, but there was one ride where Allie Love said something and she looked at the camera and she goes, you are a good mom. And I was just struggling with like my, <laughs> and I was like, thank you, Allie. And it was like a recorded ride. She totally wasn't speaking to me. And I was like, I, thank you. I, I'm a good mom. I love that though, yeah. but I want to, you said something, um, that I want to go back to because I think okay. it's important. you said like, you were explaining how you were going through like a rough point in your life and like, yeah, you were, but, but you invalidated yourself in that moment by saying, I know other people have it worse than me, which is absolutely true. But we, for whatever reason, have such a 
like it's like a default to invalidate ourselves. Yeah. And totally. Who cares that people have it worse than you? Like, yes, we all know that, but it doesn't make what we're going through any less of a real of a yeah, any less real. And so that's Mm -hmm. one way I think that I think that kind of that um, almost adds shame to it. Yeah. Right. Because if you are, you know, um, come from a family that is doing well and you live in a nice area and you have food on your table, but yet you're depressed, like maybe you feel guilty. Exactly. And so you don't reach out for help because you're like, I shouldn't be feeling this way, but you should reach out for help. There's nothing to be ashamed of. I agree. I won't do that anymore. I'll try not to. It's like your personal part of it too. But then, um, but then people in those situations, when say they do go to mom or dad or whoever for help they're met with, you have everything you could ever need. Like, why are you depressed? Yeah. And then at, they, they're not getting, so validation from self and from other people is so, so important. And it doesn't necessarily, by validating somebody, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're saying like, yes, you're right or whatever. It's just saying like, I'm here, like, I'm here with you. I hear what you are saying yeah. and I got you. And like, it doesn't have to mean anything other than that, but that in of, of itself is so powerful for people. Yeah. That's a hard skill. Like I'm going to put that on my list of things to do, but that's going to be hard yeah. not to be like, Oh, but there's people that don't have food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's something you're going to have to work on, but it's I'm just have to be aware of that. So take away from our own experience and our own emotions, because mm-hmm. that takes away from us feeling fully what we're feeling. And yeah. that leads to stuffing and that leads to anxiety and that leads to, which I got enough of. Yeah. You don't need more. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. So you just feel like feel what you're feeling and, and that's it. Sometimes I'm at work and I literally am like, have I breathed? <laughs> have, I taken a, have I taken a breath in the last three hours? <laughs> you have an app on your, on your Apple watch. Yeah, but it doesn't go off consistently. Oh, like every randomly throughout the day, like I'll get like one reminder and I don't know if it just is monitoring my breath. And so it doesn't remind me. Maybe. But yeah, every, every now and then it'll say like, have you take a moment to breathe? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, thank you, Apple. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so one thing I know that you deal with a lot is um, substance abuse, correct? Yeah. So do you think there's a correlation? And I'm, this is kind of a leading question because I have my own opinion. But do you think there's a correlation between mental health and substance abuse? Mm, 100%. Substance abuse is a mental illness. It's a diagnosable. Okay. Because I was going to say, separately from what you're saying, I was going to say, like, I think people with other other mental health disorders, like I think even ADD, anxiety, Mm -hmm. depression, they will self-medicate with drugs. And then because their drugs can become addictive, I think they can, you know... Yeah, the two go completely hand in hand with each other. Yeah. Um, the the guilt and shame that so many people feel when they are addicted to a substance is absolutely overwhelming. Mm-hmm. On top of that, going back to the reason why they chose to use substances in the first place, which is typically to avoid feeling something. And it can be... I would imagine it's some sort of trauma. Yeah, typically. Yeah, yeah. usually it is. Um, or they're going through a hard time and they just, maybe, maybe they're going through like depression, anxiety. They're, they're brought up in this beautiful home, this great family, have all of the things and therefore they should feel a certain way and they don't and they reach out for help and they're met with a response that 
causes them to feel more guilt and shame for the way that they're feeling. Yeah. And then they're left with like, well, I don't know what else to do. And then, well, maybe if I do this, I'll feel better. And it just, it can somersault from there and just go really horrible places. Yeah. So, but yeah, I work with, um, a lot of substance use, like severe, um, a lot, a lot of meth, alcohol, almost every one of marijuana, um, especially now that it's legal in California. But do you, um, I I don't know if you can answer this. If you can't, if you can't answer anything, then just tell me. (laughs) (laughs) But do you feel like there's a time when marijuana would be helpful? Because as somebody with anxiety who cannot use marijuana in my state, I, oh, yeah. it could replace my, um, whatever I'm on. Yeah. Whatever no, chemical I, I'm on. I, um, I do for certain people. Yeah. Um, but some people can get addicted, correct? In yeah. the sense that like, they just can't stop doing it. Mm-hmm. And actually there are some negative things that can go along with it. So a lot of my patients have schizophrenia or schizo- some sort of psychosis and along with that already comes some degree of paranoia. Um, okay. For those people, not all of them, but a lot of them, marijuana actually causes significantly more paranoia. Yes. If you, I mean, I will say that not now because it's illegal, but in my younger days, illegal. I smoked some weed and got very paranoid. I think it depends on what strain you get. Yeah. Um, so the, yeah, the, for sure. the practice that I'm in, um, it, realistically, we have to be. So I work with people that have been chronically homeless, um, severely mentally ill, like I said, some some degree of psychosis. Almost all of them have some history of trauma, some of it more severe than others. Um, some of them were using drugs at the age of seven. Like I'm talking oh gosh. with mom and dad at the age of seven. Some people were being, um, you know, trafficked at the age of 12. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, just oh. like horrific things. So um for us, we practice harm reduction. And, and I always tell my patients, like, on their first intake when I'm, when I'm going through and, and doing my intake, like, I ask about substance. I have to. It's part of my screening. But I always preface it with the only reason why I am asking is because I'm here to help you. And I can't help you if I don't know fully what's going on with you. And you're an adult. You're going to make your own decisions. And I just ask that you be honest and open with me about it because I will never treat you any differently, but it will change the way that I, that I am going to be able to help you. Because if I don't know what substances you're using, I don't know how my meds are going to interact with your meds and I need yeah. to with you. And, um, and so it's, it's very much like a harm reduction model. Like we promote, if I know that I have a patient that's using heroin, I'm going to direct them to the safe needle exchanges. I'm going to direct them to the ways to use in a safer way. Um, to prevent death, basically, um, rather that, than that's like, kind of, that made me kind of sad. Yeah, yeah, that's rough. It, it's it's really rough, and but I found that like having that approach because not everybody does. Um, no, I think that that's a great approach to have. To be honest with you, I think it is. But what makes me sad is that there's, I mean, obviously you're able to do what you can in your role, but like if they're homeless and they don't have resources, then they can't get themselves off the drugs because they probably need some sort of inpatient yeah. facility to detox yeah. and they just don't have those resources. Yeah. And then two, say they do get themselves to detox and then they still have nowhere to go after. And they're found in the exact same place, homeless on the streets 
And they typically have some degree of PTSD because the amount of, of violence that is out there amongst the homeless population is just overwhelming and really, really terrifying and sad. Um, so they have to, some of them use meth and other substances to stay awake all night so that they don't get stabbed or robbed or oh gosh, other things. Like there's so much more to it. So it's like, I have such a passion for my, for that population, like the homeless and mentally ill and substance users, because I was just having this conversation with my mom the other day. They are truly the most resilient, strongest, bravest human beings that I will ever know. Like the, the things that they have been through are indescribable. And the fact yeah. that they're still here is like, I don't even, have it's to like a testament to their spirit and the strength of, yeah. And, and to add to that, like, but what not, a, go ahead. What a beautiful way to look at it. Whereas so many people look at them and they're like, oh, I get a job or, you know, whatever. But like, what a beautiful way to look at it, that they are actually like powerful they're surviving like they're surviving when most of us could not I wouldn't and yeah they're not surviving in a way that maybe is socially acceptable or putting them on a path towards towards something better but in that day in that moment that's what's keeping them alive yeah and I value human beings and that's the other thing there's such um you know you see a homeless person on the street and I think most of the time for most people or a lot of people, I don't know, I don't want to make a generalization, but the first thought that comes to your head is usually not a positive one. Um, right. Or maybe it is, but then it's met with, oh, well, they're probably on drugs or they're probably this or they're probably that or whatever. Like we make these stories, right? Mm-hmm. And they're not viewed as human beings and that's all that they are. They're no different from you. They're no different from me. And I can't tell you the number of, of people that have come, that I have like come into my life that we're fully functioning, amazing human beings in society, like college graduates holding down full-time jobs. All it takes is one thing, mm-hmm. one thing and your whole life can get flipped upside down. Uh, and, yeah. And that's not seen. People don't want to hear their story. People don't want to know where they came from. And there's a lot of different reasons why people don't want to. Sometimes they're scared. Sometimes I don't, I don't know what the reasons are, but I think sometimes, you know, they're judgmental, but I think sometimes like sometimes for myself, it's, and this might sound bad, but it's sometimes easier to not acknowledge them because you will realize that that could be you. Yeah. Like you're all just, we're all just one decision away from that being us. And that's terrifying. Yeah. It was really beautiful. There's, um, there's a group here in San Diego called... Um, what are they called? I don't know, but there's a documentary that they made. It's called Homeless Homeless Chorus Speaks. And it is about this. So there's these two women that they were, they were social workers. They're both musicians. And they went around walking the streets of downtown San Diego, having conversations with the homeless people on the streets and saying, hey, do you have any interest in music or singing or playing or being around people that are singing and playing and creating music? And they formed this homeless choir. Oh, wow. Um, It has become just like this huge movement. And they made a documentary on it, kind of basically telling people stories. Some of the people that have have, came into the choir and how they became homeless and kind of like what their journey was. And it brings so much light to the fact that they're all humans and they all all have a story. And that's something that I, I just... 
I count like my, my little girls, I always try to tell them everybody has a story. You just have to take the time to listen to it. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do anything other than listen. And that's awesome. We forget that a lot. I think. Do you know where that documentary is on? Like what platform or do you have to buy it? Um, I want to say it was like PBS. Okay. Right now. Cause that would be so cool to watch. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, if you just Google search Homeless Chorus Speaks documentary, it'll pop up. Okay. Yeah. Homeless Chorus Speaks. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, Seven-minute movie. PBS. Like, I would say it's in Idaho. I feel like we're somewhat sheltered from it. I mean, we do have homeless people here, mm-hmm. um, but I would not say we have a homeless – I mean, I guess anybody homeless is a problem, but, like, you just – you know, in big cities where they just have – so many homeless people. And, um, honestly I can go, I can go months without ever seeing a homeless person in Idaho. Yeah. That's not the case here in San Diego. (laughs) No, like I can literally go months without seeing a homeless person. Yeah. So I think that kind of contributes to our little bubble here is that like, we just out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. Um, but yeah, one thing that I've always, I remembered like distinctly with my mom was she would always give people money and like food when she saw them outside of Winco, which I, and one time she sat and talked with a guy for like 15 minutes and I was in the car cause I was little, but she was just talking to him and, um, yeah, it was so cool. And I've always, I think because of the way she interacted with them, they've always, I've always had like a soft spot for them, but I've never done anything. Like if I'm being honest, I've never done anything to actively help them. Um, but what makes, what makes me really sad about when I see homeless people is I always think, that means like they have nobody left to call, right? Mm-hmm. Because if, if I made one wrong decision and ended up with that, you know what I mean? If, I, if I'm being honest, my one wrong decision, like unless it ended me up in jail, I have two brothers, I have a parents, I have Brian's family, like I would not be homeless. Yeah. I would be and taken care of. And even if it was jail, they would still, you still have people that would stand by your side. Yes, and that's, that's what makes me so sad is I just look at that and I'm like, how do you, how did everybody walk away from them? Yeah. Like what's their story where there's nobody left to turn to? And that makes me sad because I just can't imagine, I have to imagine their parents have passed away because I can't imagine a scenario where you let your kid live on the street. But maybe that's Yeah, I find that a lot of, um, a lot of the, when it's primarily like a mental illness versus a substance, a lot of that, their lack of support system and lack of, of people in their life is usually because they came from a pretty horrible place, a horrible upbringing. Maybe it was the foster system. Maybe it was with their parents, but it was an abusive family or, or whatever the reason. Usually it's, it's because of that. Um, but I do find that with substance, it's different. Yeah. And a lot of times with substance, they do have family, but the family has, kind of met they're at like their last straw with them and have just kind of given up and are like, you know what, you're on your own. And that's kind of what it comes down to, which I also understand that part of it, because at some point in time, you have to, you have to take care of your own mental health and, and having, I can't imagine having us like my own son or daughter Mm -hmm. or brother or sister or whoever close in my life with, with a significant substance issue that has basically destroyed their whole life. Like that would be challenging. And at some point you, you would reach a point where you have to, to take inventory of what's going on with you and still continue to care for yourself. Yes. And unfortunately, sometimes that means closing the door on mm-hmm. people. And it's really, really sad. 
like you can't enable them, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you seen, is it, is that movie with Steve Carell called Beautiful Boy, I think? Have you seen that? It might not be called Beautiful Boy. I don't think but I've it, heard it. it's based on a book about a boy who started doing meth. And the dad is like trying so hard to get him off drugs. And um, anyways, the it ends up positive because after like 10 or something years of his son being on drugs, his son finally gets clean and is clean now. And they, his son wrote a book about it about all the horrible, like what he saw while he was on drugs and his dad almost got divorced because of it. The wife, because he was remarried. So he had a stepmom and the dad was, he was like, she's like, when are you going to walk away? You have other children. Like, Mm -hmm. so I think that was a really good, I thought that movie was well done to portray like what it's like for a parent. And when you do get to the point, and actually at one point in the movie, he tells his son, no, he says, I'm not coming. Yeah. And that's, can you imagine how hard, I mean, you're a mom. Yeah. Imagine how hard that would be to have to turn your back on your own child. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I mean, I don't ever want to think about it, to be honest with you. No. And you're, you're never going to know how you're going to feel or respond in the, until you're in that moment. And hopefully we never are, but yeah. we don't know until you're in that moment. And you also can't judge somebody for the response that they're having because that's their response. It's their life. It's their world. Mm-hmm. You can, it, it is what it is. People are going to do what they do. I think overall, a couple of things you've said is like, you can't, like, I think if people did a lot less judging and just a lot more listening, things mm-hmm. would maybe start to take a turn. Yeah. And cure everything by any means. No, the, the power of listening and the power of, I was just having a conversation with a good friend the other night and um, he was saying something about just how like open I am when it comes to listening, which of course wasn't a wonderful compliment to receive, but I was just telling him that if somebody has the strength to be open and honest with me about who, who they are, I will love them and I will support them and I will be there for them. Um, because it takes so much courage to own your truth and to speak your truth, not just own it, but like speak it speak into existence for somebody to hear and open yourself up to that vulnerability of being judged or misunderstood or not supported and I may not agree with you um, with with what you're doing, but I promise that I'll listen. Mm-hmm. And, and there's so much power in that because there's a lot, a lot, a lot of people in this world that don't feel heard. I agree. I think it's really hard to speak your truth. I know personally, I don't speak my full truth. I've texted you some of my secret truths, yeah. but I still haven't even said them out loud. Um, yeah. So I think it's very hard. And I think it's probably there's healing in it. Absolutely. I'm just not ready yet. It's okay. <laughs> may or may not be at some One point. One day. I always, so I have a much easier time writing things than speaking. I do too, which I think is why, I mean, cause you don't live here. So we text a lot for communication. I think that's why it's easier for me. It's cause I'd almost rather like, for instance, um, I eloped and you know that and didn't tell my mom for a year. <laughs> Any difficult conversation I need to have, I love to preface it with a letter and let them read all my feelings. And then I'm willing to have a face-to-face conversation. And so I wrote a letter to my mom and was like, by the way. Yeah, by the way. And, you know, it turned out fine. I just, I love that. There we go. Are you getting blinded? I'm getting blinded by the light. Hey, you have a good voice. Oh, thanks. (laughs) Every time I see on here, I'm sure people are like, knock it off. Like, whoa, Morgan. Um, okay, so I have a question because Greg is not here, obviously. So this has been a much more agreeable podcast because we don't have, sorry, Greg. <laughs> we don't have his, you know, 
his input. His I'm gonna say shitty opinions because I'm his sister. You can say that. I can't say that because I don't know him. Because you're much more open to listening too. Exactly. (laughs) I would be, just not for my brother. Yeah, it's fine. Um, But he had a question because I told him the topic we were going to go over and I said, what do you want? Is there anything you think like as a lay person that you'd want to like cover? And he kind of sent this thing where he said, why prevalence of mental um, health issues in the past versus now? And then he said, like, why does everybody get a label? Is it truly, is everyone truly struggling or is it just a variance of personalities? And now we're like sort of labeling everything. So everything's a condition. And I don't think Greg meant it offensively or mean. Yeah. And I think that's probably an opinion a lot of people have. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't agree with it because I'm always right on this podcast and he's always wrong. Of course. But what do you think about that? Um, okay. So when it comes to an actual diagnosis, I wonder if I have. The, the, di- the DSM, the di- Diagnostic Manual, is like this thick. It's huge. Um, and the only thing that I feel a di- an actual diagnosis is absolutely necessary for is billing, unfortunately. So when you're oh, okay. So it's money is the problem. For receiving services of any kind, um, whether that's medication, therapy, whatever, you have, you have to attach a reason for it. Like I can't give you a medication if I'm not putting that you have a diagnosis of depression. If there's yep. no diagnosis, like your insurance is gonna be like, well, why are you prescribing this? They don't need it. And I'm not going to pay for it. Correct. So, diagnosis has a lot to do with that. Um, and in mental health, a diagnosis is a starting point. And I, I see diagnoses on like a spectrum. So with there, and there, there's just an overlap of a lot of things. And And there's very specific criteria to actually meet a full diagnosis, um, say for like major depressive disorder. Yeah. Um, That there's just a crossover. And so it's really just like a starting point as a guide for treatment. I think that maybe more of, of where he was saying, is it more common now? Or are we just labeling everybody? I think that what it, my belief is that there's more and more conversation about the fact that mental health is a thing that it exists because for so long it was something that wasn't spoken into existence. And it was Mm -hmm. like this taboo thing to talk about. And as more and more time goes on and like the, the data speaks for itself that, you know, the number of suicides and, and, and all the, like the mental health treatment and all of this speaks for itself, that it's a thing. It exists. People struggle. Yeah. Whether or not you have to actually attach a name to it, I I don't think so. But when it comes to treatment purposes, it guides our treatment. I because agree. if I'm comparing a, a depression or an anxiety diagnosis, I need to know kind of my starting point. Um, yeah. Of which one is guides my treatment in terms of medications, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I I would say like so. In my opinion, I've heard people say. Um, this about more like ADD, um, Asperger's, that sort of thing. I don't necessarily think that there's more of them. I think that we're finding out more information. Yes. So, and one, you know, one, somebody said, you know, there's probably been people with Asperger's forever, mm-hmm. but they were just labeled like, and actually this was a case like, so they were talking, I want to say, God, who did they give as an example? Maybe like Einstein or somebody that was really intelligent. That was probably like a little bit socially awkward. And they're like, 
he was probably had Asperger's, but back then they didn't have a term for it. So now in history, we just remember him as like a genius. Um, but now we're just getting more information to like identify these things. And I think it used to blanket be like, oh, they're just ADD. And it's not always ADD. Um, I know my son has something called sensory processing disorder. And we actually had that happen with the insurance. So we got a referral to go to an occupational therapist and um, it got denied because my insurance company claims you can't have sensory processing without ADD. Yeah, that sounds accurate. But he doesn't have ADD. Yeah. And, and so, so I was like, do we just lie and say he has ADD? So sometimes then that's a, that brings up a point of like, so then you're kind of forced to label it in order to get the treatment that. Yeah. So now it. like, you know. And it carries because once that's on your medical record, that follows you. Right. And so it's, you kind of never get away from it. Yeah. And the next person that sees you or treats you or whatever sees it and just accepts it. And unfortunately, the way that like the system is set up, a majority of providers are seeing patients in 15 minutes. You can't, you don't know anybody in 15 minutes. And so yep. you're going to go to the history and you're going to see the past list of diagnoses. And that's going to be what guides your treatment rather than like having the time to actually sit and figure out what's going on and maybe why that was written on the paperwork in the first place. Right. So it just continues from there. Yeah. And I actually did listen to this whole podcast and I think it was with Dr. Furman or Dr. Hyman. I don't, but he was talking about how basically insurance companies, but you don't have to comment on this, are like <laughs> the root of the downfall of the medical like profession because they are regulating how much time you can spend with a patient. And um, he said, like, for instance, if, if a doctor takes Medicaid, then they literally have like seven minutes to identify the patient. And then they have to like be out of the room within 15 minutes. And if they're out of the room within 20 minutes, they can if they mark the wrong box, they're just not going to get paid at all. And so like, it's just such a political game with the insurance forms that it's like taking away the ability to actually provide care in a caring way. Yep. hundred percent. Which yeah, it dictates, it completely dictates what dictates. I can't say that word. <laughs> dictates <laughs> What medications are covered. So yeah. you can, as the prescriber, you have, the professional knowledge. Yeah, you've been what to is the for right it. match for that patient. But then unfortunately you write for that and the insurance kicks it back and is like, well that's not covered because they have to try A, B, C, D, E before we would ever cover that. So then you're forced putting somebody through several months of trying and failing medications before they can get to the one that they actually need. And it's horrible because people lose faith in the system. They lose faith in treatment. That should be illegal. It should be illegal. It's I don't think people, the insurance company should be able to regulate what the doctors. Yeah. Do. So for so many of the medications I write, um, I have to provide, it's called a TAR or a prior, a prior authorization. Basically, I have to explain to the insurance company why I am prescribing this medication and why they need to pay for it. And sometimes like whatever I write is approved for the first time. Sometimes they kick it back two or three times and I have to come back with with more and more information, sometimes they request um, studies and journal articles that that support the prescribing of this medication. I mean, it is absolutely insane. So you already brought up the point of how we already have so little time to actually spend with a patient. Yeah. Then and it takes another thirty to sixty minutes to actually speak with these insurance companies and get these these treatments, whatever treatment that we believe is right for that patient. 
to get it paid for and covered. Like yeah. when it, we don't. That's have- that to me is just ridiculous. That's like. So the doctors and the nurses are the ones that went to medical school, went through their training for however many years. I'm not educated on how many years it takes, but like, and then somebody that works at an office yeah, the gets to decide if you are taking the right, but they didn't go through medical school. No, they, they have, don't have experience. They don't know the patient. They have like an algorithm that they have to go through. So like, for example, for certain antipsychotics, especially like the new ones that are coming on the market, um, that they have like a better side effect profile. So say for somebody, you say, if I'm treating like a 23 year old with full blown schizophrenia, I'm usually going to go with one of the newer medication. Well, it depends, but say whatever medication I pick, like it's one of the new ones on the market because it's, it's the best for them for whatever reason I decide. Uh, they come back to with me to me and say that they need to try and fail at least two other antipsychotics before they will pay for that one. And so it just, so meanwhile, we're talks like not toxing, but like, for instance, when I got on my meds, I had to get used to them and stop feeling lightheaded and dizzy and nauseous. Yeah. So you're like, to- I'm, that's not the right word, but you're toxing somebody and then detoxing them twice before you can get them on the medication that will actually help them. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It's really unfortunate. That's fucked up. Yeah, it is. And it's, me- it's messed up too, in the sense that they do lose faith in the system because they're like, well, I can't yeah. that I need. It's so it's helpful when I have patients that can actually understand that. Well, luckily in, in the system that I work in, I don't typically have to do that. We, um, we actually have a certain budget with, um, within our county contract and all of these things where we're able to actually pay for their medication. If it's something the insurance won't cover, we can pay oh, that's for amazing. get that to them. And then one of the things that that helps with is, um, if we start them on it and then we have a follow-up appointment and we document, we're able to document a significant improvement or change, then that can be submitted to the insurance and be like, look, they were started on it with samples or they were started on it because we can show that it was filled in some way and they've had a significant improvement in XYZ symptoms. Then we can sometimes get a push through that way. So it's it's just a game. Like it's, um, you have to learn the system of the insurance companies, unfortunately, and every insurance company is different. I deal mostly with Medi-Cal, Medicaid, um, sometimes Medicare. I don't really treat with any private insurances. So I honestly, I don't know about that. Um, so what I'm speaking of is mostly just Medicaid in the state of No, um, I go, we go to a chiropractor here and then we go, I, my Dr. Lindsay, um, and neither of them take insurance anymore. Mm. We do like the chiropractor does like monthly memberships, yeah. um, you know, and then Lindsay, I think is starting a monthly, like membership plan and there's another place here in eagle that's doing like basically it's like a hundred bucks a month and then it gets cheaper when you add people in your family and you just get like unlimited mm-hmm. you get like so many you get like a yearly checkup you get like your gyno and then you get like unlimited yeah. and some people are like that's terrible like but i actually think that's so smart because i mean not, not everyone's going to be able to afford it right which is the problem but when you remove the insurance aspect of it like literally with Lindsay, I can sit with her for an hour and a half and talk to her about every single thing that I'm doing or feeling. And it can be the smallest thing and she'll address all of it. Whereas like, if I am at my doctor, that might be like, Oh, that's a separate appointment. Yeah. And then you got to get a referral to go here. And then that whoever they referred you to is not accepting new patients. So then you have to go back to your primary care. 
get a new referral and yeah yeah so so what you're speaking about it's like concierge medicine is is kind of what they call it and there's definitely a lot of pros to it but you have to be in a place where you can afford it yeah and not everyone can to be honest with you and I know that like I I can't even afford for my whole family to be on it <laughs> so we just do it in like chunks you know but um yeah yeah I, I wish that we could kick the insurance companies out or like change their regulations so that they can't control medical care. Yeah. It's such a complicated thing because there's so many different hands in the pot. There's insurance companies and hospital networks. And I mean, there's just so, and then individual um, like doctors and nurse practitioners and physician assistants. Like it's just, there's so many people and so many hands in the pot with big corporations and big companies. And it's too many cooks in the kitchen. It sounds like exactly too much. Um, well, as Greg always likes to say, is there anything that we can agree on? I think we agreed on a lot. (laughs) We agreed on, we agreed on almost everything. I feel like, didn't we? We should find something we disagree on. Okay. What do we disagree on? Um, I don't know if we disagree on anything. I don't know. <sighs> like we were fully right in everything. I just feel said. like I can't, I can't tell you you're wrong because <laughs> you have way more credentials than me. Um, wrong. doesn't mean I'm like right about. Insurance. You're wrong about insurance. Just yeah, there you go. <laughs> and maybe, and I am truly just speaking no, you're not. my experience. I, work in, I mean, everybody's experience is different, private practice versus community versus all of that. So, I mean, that's just based on my experience in the state of California. So it could be different. So I could be wrong. I I would just like to say, I think that, you know, mental health is super important. And I think that I wish that we could lift the shame. And I hope that even just like my 30 people that listen to my podcast (laughs) would just know that if you're not feeling normal or I don't even know if normal, normal is not the right word because I don't feel normal any day. But if you're not feeling like yourself or you feel sad or anxious or worried or I don't know, anything like, and sometimes you got to find the right doctor for you. You got to find the right nurse practitioner for you. If you go to a counselor, you doesn't have to be the one you stick with. Yeah. If you have insurance, a lot of times um, insurances will do like eight free or 10 free with a counselor. And um, I believe as long as you switch before the third appointment, you can get a a new set of that full 10. Mm -hmm. So just keep that in mind. A little secret for you guys. Yeah. And shop them around. Every single state, every single state, I don't know, every single state, no matter where you're at in the world or the United States, I should say, because I don't know about the world. I don't think we're international yet. Okay. Well, maybe you never know. Anyways, wherever you are at, there's always a 24-7 helpline, a warm line, a talk line, a suicide prevention line. There's always somebody. So there's there's always somebody. And if you're going through something, there's always a number to call. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, Amanda. Yeah. I think that you've replaced Greg. Yes. He's out. Sorry, Greg. I do get to argue with him a lot more, though. That's true. All right. Well, um, thank you for coming on and filling in. We'll have you back again. I would love it. I would love to have you, me, and Sia with Greg. Sia would love that. I'd love to get Greg to open up. For those of you that don't know Sia, um, you should follow him. Ramana. I don't know what his Instagram is. Ramana Fit. Ramana Fit. 
we'll probably just tag them all when we post this episode um i love you i love you more and um that's all i got Thanks for doing this and um I'll talk to you soon. Yep. <laughs> I don't know how to turn this off. <laughs> <laughs>